It is Encounter with God Time Breakfast Bible Study here on The Breakfast Show. We're going to get into our 20 Million Movement Bible Study. Hebrews chapter 9 is where it is all at this morning. And before we do, Lawson is going to bring us the 400-point question for our quiz. In a failed healing attempt, what did Gehazi use to heal an old woman's son? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. For 400 points, you can win a book from our selection of bargain books. But again, that question was, in a failed healing attempt, what did Gehazi use to heal an old woman's son? Gehazi is an epic name. It is. For a dude. Like, that's such a, like, Gehazi. I always called him Gehazi. Gehazi. Whatever. Okay. Gehazi is cool. I wasn't there, so I don't know. Gehazi is like... Is I think Gehazi is like a little bit more feminine, but Gehazi, bro, like this guy sounds like a, a legend. Anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't a great guy. But anyways, uh, he was. Well, he had some. He had one or two recorded sins. Anyway. Some, some hiccups. He had some hiccups. Yeah. All right, what's, uh, do we have text messages? We do. We've got mm-hmm. a whole slew of them. And, uh, of course, we want to remind you all that we'd love to hear from you guys, so send them through. And also your questions of the day. We uh, always need questions to add to our list. I know, know that some of you are still waiting for yours to come through. Do not fear. We will get to them uh, and keep sending them through. Okay, let me see here. What do we got? The plastic crisis, drink steel. I like that. Drink yeah, steel. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's better than drinking concrete. It's better than, steel is stronger than concrete. That, isn't that what? Yeah, they put steel inside of concrete, right? That's right, to make mm-hmm. the concrete stronger. So mm-hmm. why put concrete on your breakfast when you can put steel on it? Steel on it? Why put anyway. any of those on your breakfast? when you can, <laughs> when you can, you can harden up. That's when, why. when you can put lead on it and get poisoning and die. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, unfortunately, it is the end of the world. And as always, while it is great that are doing it, it's too late. We mm. need a new planet and a new heart for all and only Jesus can do that. Yes, absolutely. Agree. Yeah. Um, we we totally agree that the uh, that we are living in the end of the world and that this world is going to burn and that Jesus is going to create a new one. We also totally agree that God has given us a God given responsibility to look after the planet as right. it is right now. I don't think any of us disagree on that. So mm-hmm. it's always a good thing and something to celebrate when we do something positive for the planet. All right, uh, what do we got? The platypus story is a good story. Once someone wants to know whether it's on YouTube. Uh, it is actually, you can head, there's a number of news outlets that were, you know, talking about it. So you can head online and yeah, just look up, you know, later, she, look up. She took some photos of this little guy. Right? Yeah. Right in. If you write into Google lady Penelope and platypus, you will find. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Lady Penelope, Penelope and platypus. Mm-hmm. Say that fast 10 times. Uh, <laughs> Iran and the freed Christians five years for attending a house church. It took the judges a long time to read their own constitutional rights, better late than never. And mm. that's the important thing here is because, well, they haven't done this for a number of decades now, but now that it's been done, maybe we can see some changes taking mm. place in Iran, which is just a great, fantastic country. I love Iran so much, one of the most favourite countries I've ever been to, full of such friendly people, but so messed up in so many ways. Mm. Okay, sports, men dressed and acting as women and competing against each other. Twitter is a twit. <laughs> I like that. But so are they all. They have rejected the light of God and he gives them darkness. The blind leading the blind will both fall into the ditch. It'll be very hot there. Mm. Make sure you bring your sun cream. Oh, wow. That's, wow. Yikes. That's a bit full on. Anyway. Uh, but, but it's true. Like, like as in, it's, not, it's not untrue. It's just 
It's not untrue, but also what he's saying about Twitter as well. Like we, we were having oh, to totally. a break just about totally. how ridiculous it is. Like in, in women's like sport being just the invaded by men. Women. Yeah, yeah. The like, deletion of women. It's like just eradicate women out of the world. Mm. Yeah. Heavy. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, uh, the Waldens is, I wonder where Christianity would be today if God had Oof. not raised them and kept them and groups of so believers true. like them. Rome tried very hard to eradicate them. Would there have been a Reformation without them? Mm. This history is what made me an, a Christian, if only an SDA Christian, if only all churches believed and taught this history, Rome would not be where she is today. Protestant leaders have joined and have gone back to the mother church, mm. which slaughtered them in the past and continues to slaughter them theologically today. How sad. Mm. It's a lot of what we are see happening in our world today where we have a post-truth world and truth has become subjective and it's so, well, why not just go back to, you know, where the power and the money is? Mm. I hate to be cynical, but it's kind of what we see taking place in our world. So those are our text messages. <laughs> That's what you had to say this morning. Um, you can share your thoughts. Uh, we may not necessarily always agree with your thoughts, but we will share your thoughts and we can have them to discuss because if a thought cannot be shared, it cannot be understood, it cannot be debated, um, and it cannot be explored. And this is what it is all about. And, of course, the most interesting thoughts and the most vital thoughts are the ones that we're going to learn from the Word of God today. Those are the ones that we need to dig into. Those are the ones that we need to explore. And we need to understand in depth all right, so yesterday we were talking about the covenant, we were talking about wills, how that uh, a will is one of the strongest legal documents that is in existence because a will is sealed by death. Mm. And you can't seal something any stronger than by dying. Mm-hmm. We can't go to, you know, to the local uh, graveyard and dig somebody back up out of the grave and say, hey, do you want to change this legal document? It cannot be changed once they are dead. Lawyers make lots of money trying to convince people that they can, and they basically never are. Mm. All right. So uh, we were talking about this because, you know, uh, Paul likens this to the Old and the New Covenant and talks about how the Old Covenant was sealed with death, the blood of a bull. The New Covenant was sealed with death, the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm. And we were noting that once the covenant is sealed, you can't change it. That's right. And there are so many things in Christianity today that people say, well, you know, this is new covenant Christianity uh, because we're under the new covenant now and God changed things. Yes, God did Mm -hmm. before he died. That's right. And that's what it's all about. If you want, uh, you know, say, for instance, Sunday to be part of the new covenant, it has to be put in there before the death of Jesus. The death mm. of Jesus sealed it so that it cannot be changed. Mm. All right, simple as that. Where are we up to? Let's go to verse... Oh, let's, let's pick it up in verse 17 and 18. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 17... The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. Okay, so that's where we got up to yesterday. That's what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. The first covenant being put into effect with the blood or, or, or dedicated, as my translation says, ratified uh, by the blood of a bull. Mm-hmm. Verse 19. Uh, for after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats along with the water and sprinkled both uh, the book of God's law 
and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Okay, so this is interesting because what you've got, what we find here is that before the sanctuary is used, everything is anointed by blood. There is an anointing of the sanctuary mm. that takes place here. Not an anointing with oil, but an anointing with blood. Mm -hmm. He takes that blood, he sprinkles it on the people. He doesn't just sprinkle on the people. He goes to each, to every part of the sanctuary. Mm. And he anoints every part of the sanctuary with blood. Mm. Now, what you've got is if you go back to Daniel, uh, let's go back to Daniel very quickly, book of Daniel chapter uh, 9. Daniel chapter 9. We've got an interesting passage over here in Daniel 9. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, and we are going to be looking at an interesting prophecy in verse 24. Why don't you read for us verse 24, please? Daniel 9, verse 24. Daniel 9 and verse 24. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decided for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion and to put an end to sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring into everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic... Uh, vision and to anoint the most holy place. Okay, that's an interesting prophecy. You've got 77s or uh, 480 years mm -hmm. have been set aside, and within that time period, a bunch of different events are going to take place, including the anointing of the most holy. Mm. What's that actually all about? You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Okay, so if we go back to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, um, and we're going to look for, uh, let me just find this verse here, mm -hmm. because it has a direct reference to, 9 verse 22, has a direct reference to what we're reading about here in Daniel chapter 9. Mm. Okay, Hebrews 9, verse 22. It says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything is pur purified with blood, but without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Okay, so we've got this anointing that takes place mm -hmm. in the sanctuary. Now, if we go back to the Hebrews, uh, Daniel chapter 9, the Bible says you've got this period that is cut off for Daniel's people. The mm -hmm. Bible says 70 weeks are cut off for your people. This is for Daniel's people, the Jewish people. Um, and within this time period, a number of events are listed to take place. Mm -hmm. So the Bible says to finish sins and make an end of transgression. In mm -hmm. other words, to get your lives right with God. To uh, to 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 to, um, to finish sins, make an end of transgression. To and I've gone completely blank all of a sudden on a verse that I know off by <laughs> to anoint the most holy place. Yeah, back up from that. Uh, to confirm from... the prophetic vision. Back up. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Who brought in everlasting righteousness? Christ. Yes. Uh huh. Who brought in redemption? Christ. When did he do that? Um, by dying on the cross. By dying on the cross. So uh -huh. Jesus does this when he dies on the cross. Okay. So what you've got in in uh, Daniel chapter nine here. Um, to on oh, to make reconciliation for iniquity. That mm -hmm. was the one I was looking for. That's definitely the cross right there. So you've got 490 years. They're cut off for the Jewish people. And as they're cut off for the Jewish people, 
the Jewish people have this time to get their act together with God, mm-hmm. but you're also going to have the earthly ministry of Jesus where he makes reconciliation for iniquity. Mm-hmm. Having made reconciliation for iniquity, then the Bible says that to anoint the most holy, uh, to, to, to seal the vision and to anoint the most holy. Mm. So all of these events that take place within this 490-year period are going to seal the vision. Mm-hmm. What vision is that? The the previous, the one from the... Yes, because he's, he's not actually having a vision here. Yeah, he's just being explained what happened in Daniel chapter 8. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's just having a meeting with an angel here. This mm-hmm. is not a vision. This is actually a meeting. That's mm-hmm. di- a vision is different from a meeting. A vision, you see all kinds of symbols and, and those kind of things. A meeting is where you sit down and have a conversation with he, someone. He's literally just being told things by an angel. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's so no... an, angel's, an angel's turned up. As an angel could turn up right now, sit at the third microphone here in the studio, if an angel so desired, mm-hmm. and have a conversation with us. That's what's happening with Daniel. Yeah, there he's... is no vision in chapter 9. He's not seeing animals. He's not seeing, you know, heaven. Like, he's just chatting with the angel. Okay. chatting with the angel. Uh-huh. So the angel talks about the vision. He says, okay, all of these events here are going to seal the vision. Uh-huh. The reason the vision seal needs sealed in chapter 8, which is the previous one, is because there are events in that vision that are going to take place in heaven where obviously we can't see them on earth. Mm-hmm. And so we can't verify it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, you've got this prophecy about what's going to take place in heaven, but how are you going to verify that? Mm. So Gabriel comes along and says, okay, this is how you're going to verify it. We're going to have this, 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 this. All of these events are going to happen on earth. Those are the seal of the vision. Mm-hmm. And then he finishes by saying, and anoint the most holy. And Hebrews chapter 9 says that all things are anointed with blood. Okay, so also in Hebrews chapter 9, what does the Bible say? What blood did Jesus take into the sanctuary that was in heaven? Mm, His own blood. That's right. He did not go in with the blood of bulls and goats. Mm -hmm. No, he went in with his own own blood. blood. Mm-hmm. So when the Bible talks about anointing the most holy, what is it that is taking place here? This is Jesus entering the sanctuary in heaven, sitting down on the right hand of the Father, beginning the work of intercession. How does he have the right to do that? He has the right to do that because he is the lamb that was slain. Mm. He has the right to do that because of his own blood. He has the right to do that because he carries the merits of his own blood into the sanctuary in heaven. To, he can anoint all of the furniture, the, 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 the pieces, the things, whatever there is in heaven, with his own blood mm-hmm. so that that work can begin. And so, yeah, that's what uh, a re- reference there to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Let's go back to, uh, sorry, Daniel chapter 9. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 9. And let's pick up where we left off. So we just read verse 22. Yes. Yes. We did read verse 22. Let's read verse 23. In verse 23, the Bible says, That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of the things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But in the real things in heaven had to be purified by a far better sacrifice than the blood of animals. Okay, in verse 24. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. Ah, your translation messed up again. What? How is how's that not make sense? Because it doesn't say a holy place. Okay. That would be 
um, Hagia. Mm-hmm. Remember we did the Hagia, Hagion, yeah. Yeah. Tahagia. Uh-huh. Uh, this so one, what does your say? Uh, this one says, holy places, mm-hmm. Tahagia. Well, this one says heaven itself, and the previous verses have said he's in the temple in heaven. So, yes, there's a slight difference here, though. Mm-hmm. Let me read it from this one. For Christ, for Christ is not entered into the holy places, mm-hmm. the sanctuary, uh-huh. the holy place and the most holy place, uh-huh. places. Yours just simply says a holy place. Oh, mine says heaven itself. Yeah, and that's broad. Whereas this one actually <laughs> actually pinpoints the sanctuary. Yeah, but you know that off context because it's been talking about the temple and the sanctuary that's not made by human hands, but is in heaven. I the know, whole time. I know, but you're trans. <laughs> you're, you're fighting fights you that can, don't can, exist, you, Lyle. If, if you translate this as the as the Greek presents it, you don't need to have so much context. Okay. All right. Yes. Because you can because it's just plainly written down. It's pretty plain here too. And yeah, not. <laughs> it's not. Lyle has like biblical like doctrinal PTSD and he's trying to fight wars that don't <laughs> exist. Like, not doctrinal translational PTSD. The, this yeah, anyways. This war exists. Okay, well, whatever. Well, essentially, okay, so he let's enters the sanctuary. That's right. Verse 25. Read for and verse 25. 20. Let's, see how, let's see how epically bad your translation <laughs> can get it in verse 25. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible says here, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the sanctuary every year with the blood of others. Mm-hmm. The correct translation there is actually the sanctuary. Okay. Yep. But he does enter the sanctuary year after year, like the most holy place. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and this is the thing that you're going to find is that in the sanctuary service, when the Bible talks about Jesus going in there year after year, that's talking about the, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Day of Judgment, cleansing of the sanctuary. Uh, but the, the priest went in also day after day, mm. and that's the daily service. And so when the Bible, when Paul puts includes in here the sanctuary rather than just the most holy place, he's including the entire service of mm. Jesus, not just the service that takes place during the judgment, but the entire service of Jesus from when Jesus enters into heaven at the time of his ascension all the way down until when uh, the judgment begins and then intercession ceases and Jesus comes back. But what is significant here is one of the differences between type and anti-type, and this is important for us to note, and Paul really points it out right here, and that is that when you're studying types and anti-types, some people get too carried away with trying to find an exact fulfillment of every detail. Mm. And point it, Paul is pointing out the fact that when it comes to, okay, symbolic prophecy, you're going to have every detail is going to tell you something. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very specific. Whereas when it comes to type and antitypes, what you have is a shadow and a reality. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a shadow and a reality, the shadow is never going to give you all of the information of the reality. Mm-hmm. And it's never going to be an exact copy of the reality. A shadow is always a distortion of the reality. Mm-hmm. And so the sacrifice that was here on earth was always... While it was a reflection of reality, it was a distortion of the reality. Mm. Because, I mean, take the lamb, for instance. The Bible says the lamb would be without spot spot and without blemish because it is a symbol of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. which meant that you went and picked the best one that you had. 
doesn't mean it didn't have any spot or blemish on it. It meant that it was the best one that you had. Uh, and we could look at many other, we'll come back and look at a few other uh, differences between uh, type and anti-type. But right now we're going to listen to City Delight with Jesus Strong and Kind. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Maybe it was recorded live. Uh, yeah, okay. Live audience. There you go. Cool. That was I was like, man, they're really giving it giving a cheer to Lyle right now. Um but anyways, oh yeah, let's do our five hundred point clue for the quiz. Where was the Ark of the Covenant housed before Solomon brought it into the temple? If you know where it was, if you know where it was sitting, 0491-064-669 is the number to call. And if you know, you can win one of our fantastic, amazing Revive Cafe cookbooks. This is the seventh volume um, of just delicious, healthy, vegetarian and vegan meals that will literally change your life. Like I have a couple of these books at home. I use them all the time. They're amazing. They're massive too. This is among our like most expensive prizes that we give away. They're like these huge hardcover, massive cookbook that is just full of incredible vegetarian food. So 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. And that question was, where was the Ark of the Covenant housed before Solomon brought it into the temple? You'll find it. It's there. Mm-hmm. The Bible tells us. And what's interesting is, well, what's what's cool about this is that, of course, it's a question that goes along with what we're talking about. It is. The sanctuary service, the holy That's place, right. the most holy place. Ooh. Place where the Ark of the Covenant is, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so we were talking about types and antitypes and how there is a difference between the two. Mm. And that a type is a it's a shadow. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give you the pure picture of what it actually really looks like. And so with the shadow, what you find is that there would be a sin offering and sin offerings that would be taking place every day. But how many sin offerings did Jesus make? One. One. You would have priests going into the sanctuary every day. How many times does the Bible say Jesus goes in? Once. You've got priests going into the most holy place once a year. How often does Jesus go in? I think it's once. You think it's once? I, I think it's, yeah. Just okay, we hand. need to recognize the difference between the two because sometimes people will, will be like, well, you know, this type and any type doesn't exactly fit. No. That's the way with type and antitypes. Mm-hmm. You've got to learn the lesson from it and recognize what Jesus is trying to communicate. That's right. There are many people you know, in the Bible who are types of Jesus Christ. Cyrus the Persian is a type of Jesus Christ. Mm. He did not even know God when he, when he was a type of Jesus Christ. He never heard of Yahweh mm. when he was a type of Christ. And yet the Bible calls him the shepherd, mm-hmm. the Messiah, mm-hmm. the deliverer. Mm-hmm. He is the one who delivers God's church out of Babylon. Mm-hmm. He comes from the east. These are all symbols of Jesus Christ. Does that mean if I look at Cyrus, I'm going to see an exact depiction of Jesus Christ? No. Absolutely not. Cyrus went on, you know, and was killed in battle fighting against a woman. You know, trying to continue conquering the world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he's one of my great heroes of history, no question about that. But that does not mean that he was a follower of God in every aspect of his life, and he's exactly like Jesus. Take, for instance, the king of Tyre. Mm. The king of Tyre and the king of Babylon in the book of Isaiah are both types of Satan, where God says, okay, if you want to see what Satan looks like, look at this guy over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, were they exactly the same? No. No. The Bible goes on and says about the king of Tyre, you were in Eden, the garden of God. 
No, he wasn't. Yeah, that's he, he he post dated the Garden of Eden by a very very long mm-hmm. time, and so we've got to recognise the differences that exist between types and antitypes while recognising the similarities and understanding the lesson that God is trying to teach mm. us here. And this is what Paul is trying to illustrate when he talks about the sanctuary. He's like, okay, one is a shadow, the other is the reality, and the reality is going to be quite different from the shadow and far better than what the shadow is. All right, where are we up to? Verse 26. If you could read that one for us, please. Chapter 9, verse 26. In verse 26, the Bible says, If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once and for all, uh, once and for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death. As a sacrifice. Okay, so if it was necessary that the type was exactly the same as the antitype, Jesus would have had to be crucified not for sins, but for every sin. Mm. That's a physical impossibility because there are lots of sins being committed. Man, he'd have to be resurrected a second. lot. This would be a yeah. quick process. And, in, and entirely unnecessary. Mm. Uh, we don't need to, Jesus didn't need to do that because Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. Mm. It's sufficient for us to know and to uh, understand and to see exactly what, and, and it's sufficient to pay the penalty mm. for all sin. Um, verse 27 and 28, let's round out this chapter. Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many uh, people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting him. Okay. I love what it says here in the end of verse 28 in my translation where it says, uh, so Christ was was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, he will appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Mm. This is a promise of the return of Christ right here, Yeah, the second coming. Uh, and the Bible says that Jesus will appear. Mm. That to me is significant because so many people say that when Jesus comes back, he won't appear. Mm. And so the complete opposite of that. And yet this is actually a theme that you find uh, running throughout the Bible, wherever the Bible references the return of Christ, it references the fact that he does appear. In fact, the Bible references the fact that he appears to everyone. The Bible says that every eye shall see him. Mm. Even the wicked will see him when he comes back because the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 that those who pierced him, mm. those who crucified him, will see him come back. Mm. They'll be resurrected to see him come back. And so, you know, you've got this whole concept of the secret rapture that, you know, floats around and you won't find a word of it anywhere in Scripture. Mm. Now, I'll lay the challenge out right now. Find me, find me any passage in the Bible where the Bible says that the return of Jesus will be secret, silent, and unseen. Yeah. The verse doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You could write all of those verses on a blank piece of paper. And it'd still be blank. It would still be blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, where... Ever you go in the Bible in reference to the return of Christ, it talks about him appearing. And, of course, the uh, the Bible refers to it as the second time, the second coming mm. unto salvation. Now, we talked about this yesterday, but let's just remind ourselves again. In verse 27 it says, It is appointed unto men once to die, 
And after this, the judgment. Yes. What does it mean when it says after this, the judgment? So you die and after that, the judgment. Yeah, sure. Why not? Do you, does the judgment take place the moment you die? That's not what the verse says. But a lot of people say, well, when I die, I'll stand before the judgment seat of God. Yeah, well, they... And they, I will answer for my life. They will, they will eventually. Because, like, that's the point it makes. It's like, everyone's destined to die. Like, we're all going to die. But then it's, like, after this and then judgment. And that makes so much sense. And it's like, okay, well, where do we see that judgment take place? And then you read the book of Revelation and it's like, oh, like... At the end. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And Mm. this is where people, you know, this is where we can so easily come unstuck if we bring our preconceived ideas Mm. to the Bible. If you bring the preconceived idea to the Bible of uh, the immortality of the soul, Mm -hmm. the assumption is, okay, people die, they get judged, and then, you know, God sends them either to heaven or hell. Yeah. And, And this is the thing. You could take this one verse and it would fit your preconceived idea, but rather you get the story of Scripture and then it doesn't. That's right. your preconceived idea. We need to have the context of the whole Bible. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Yeah, back to let you know uh, that we have come to question of the day time. Before we get into our question of the day, we're going to run through the answers for our quiz for 100 points. The answer was wisdom for 200. The answer was mantle slash cloak for 300. It was 13, including Dinah, his daughter. For 400, it was Elisha's staff. And for 500 points, the answer was Gath from 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 1. But right now it is time for... Question of the day. All right, well, our question of the day is this. A friend at work, and this is sent in from Janelle, a friend at work said that the end of the world will come when there is peace in the Middle East. I disagree with that. Can you please explain why he would come to this conclusion? What's He said it's in Revelation, but he didn't say where it was. So there you go. Go for it, Lyle. Challenge, challenge right there. Yeah, I have no idea where it is in the book of Revelation either. I do not find that coming through in the book of Revelation. <laughs> so if there's a listener out there who does know where that is in the book of Revelation, then maybe you could help me out and send it through. Uh, not a whole lot of peace happening in the book of Revelation. I do find it in the book of Daniel. Mm. And so maybe they're think, thinking of Daniel chapter 9. Now, if you take the dispensationalist view of uh, Christianity and Daniel chapter 9, then what you're going to find is that... There are those who would take Daniel 9, they would divide it into uh, two sections, and they would have, you know, you've got your 70-week prophecy, which is 490 years. They would cut off the first 69 weeks and say, well, this is from the, you know, decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Jesus and includes the crucifixion. Okay, yeah, we, we all agree with that so far. But then what they do is they invent out of thin air. And so you start to get a list of fabrications here, and here comes the first fabrication. They fabricate a 1,000-year gap between the 69th week of Daniel chapter 9 and the 70th week. Okay, so to come to this conclusion that this person has come to from the book of Daniel, you have to fabricate a lot. And the first one is the biggest because you've got to fabricate a 1,000-year gap. Now, when I talk about fabricating, this is what I mean. 
I mean inventing something out of thin air with no basis in Scripture whatsoever at all, no verse in the Bible to back it up. Now, the Bible says, you know, where two or three witnesses are, uh, there shall I be amongst them. We should have at least two or three verses for every single thing that we believe. And a lot of people will hang their doctrines on one verse. Okay, the Bible says it. Yeah, that's good enough for me. But when you've got no verse, none, that's really thin. Okay, so that's the first thing that you've got to uh, fabricate right here. Now, of course, they draw it from uh, Daniel 9 and verse 27, where the Bible says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the middle of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And so this is the verse that uh, a whole slew of websites here just sent me to when I typed in the verse. You know, when does it talk about peace in the Middle East before the return of Jesus? And they all sent me to verse 27. And, of course, you know, it's very plain, isn't it, that the Bible says about talks about peace in the Middle East here in verse 27? Uh, no, I didn't read anything about peace right there. And so then I looked to find out, okay, how did they actually get that out of verse 27? All right, so here's what they fabricate. The first thing that they fabricate is the 1,000-year gap. The second thing that they fabricate is the existence of the Antichrist in this verse. And they say, oh, this one's about the Antichrist. Every verse previous to this has been about Jesus Christ. There is no reference here to the Antichrist. So that's a fabrication. So they fabricate the Antichrist into it. Then they, then they fabricate the fact that where it uses the word he, rather than being Jesus Christ, rather than being the Messiah, which is the subject of the passage, they say that's Antichrist, so that's our third fabrication. Then it continues on and they uh, look at this covenant and they say that this covenant is an earthly covenant. It's not the, not the everlasting covenant, none of that kind of stuff. It is, the, it is an earthly covenant between political leaders on this earth. So that's a pure fabrication. There's nothing to back that up at all. There's nowhere it says that it is an earthly covenant. There is nowhere it says that it has anything to do with uh, the political leaders of the earth and it is between nations. So you've got a number of fabrications there. Then they fabricate the inclusion of Israel into it. So does it mention anything about Israel? No, there's no mention of Israel here. You could draw that from it, but it doesn't say that, so that's a fabrication. And then they fabricate the fact that this covenant has actually got something to do with peace. You know, the many covenants in the Bible, a covenant can be about all kinds of things, but it's a fabrication to say it's about peace. You can do a lot of making stuff up out of nothing to get peace out of this statement right here. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.